0: Get ready. Get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. This is Voss here from dot com. Hey, we're coming here with another great podcast. We certainly appreciate you guys being on the show. We've got an amazing guest. I had read her father's book. I. Back when I was 20, uh, somewhere in my early 20s for entrepreneurship, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Stephen R. Covey. And uh, I won't tell you how many years it's been since then, but it's been probably double the amount of whatever age I was at the very least. Anyway, we have his daughter, Cynthia covey Haller on the show with her new book, Live Life in Crescendo, that she wrote with Stephen Covey. And uh, this is the final book that's come out from him that she co-wrote with him. So we'll be talking to her on the show. Be sure to check out our recent episode yesterday with the multi-billionaire David Rubenstein. That was a great show. And then we've got the governor of Massachusetts coming up on Friday. So you definitely want to check on those shows. Refer to the show, as always, to your family, friends, and relatives. Tell them to... Join the Chris Voss Show family. The family loves you but doesn't judge you. Go to YouTube.com, Fortune's Chris Voss, Goodreads.com, Fortune's Chris Voss. All those places on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and all those crazy places that we are. In fact, this morning, we just got our journalist on our journalist account at LinkedIn. We just got live audio, so we can now do live audio stuff, kind of like what they used to do in Clubhouse or many what used to follow me in Clubhouse they used to do. So we're actually going to start doing daily live audios over there, so check that out. We'll probably be discussing some of the things we do on the podcast as well. And, of course, you can get the live broadcast of LinkedIn over there. She is the newest author of the newest book that just came out yesterday, September 27th, 2022. The book is called, again, Live. Or, I'm sorry, Live. <laughs> live. I keep saying live instead of live. Live Life in Crescendo. Your most important work is always ahead of you, the Kobe Habits series book written by Stephen R. Covey and Cynthia Covey Haller. Did I say Kobe or did I say Covey Habits? Did I mess that up on the Covey Habits? That's
1: okay. You got it right at the end.
0: <laughs> there you go. There you go. Welcome to the show, Cynthia. How are you?
1: Thanks so much. I'm really happy to be here. Excited. This is a fun show. I love the it- introduction.
0: <laughs> it's awesome. At least we, we tried to, we put a lot of energy into it. So you've contributed to writing several of the books you wrote. The, you, you helped write with your father, the third alternative, uh, the seven habits of highly effective teens, the six most important decisions, uh, you'll ever make. And you've read, you've held uh, multiple leadership positions in women's organizations. I served as a PTSA president, organizer for refugee and food pantry volunteers and. What motivated you want to write this book or get this book completed, I guess?
1: Well, my father's passing. You know, that was 10 years ago, 10 Mm -hmm. years ago in in July. And so we started this journey a long time ago when I stupidly asked my dad if he was going to write anything as good as Seven Habits. (laughs) Did he have anything else to offer? And he said what you know am i one and done is it just seven habits and that's it he said i've got other books in my head and i feel like my most important work is still to come there you go So uh, that would impress me that he you know didn't feel like you know no i'm done i'm just gonna sit on this and and that's when I got involved. He asked me just to clear it up. I, I actually didn't help him write third alternative. I contributed to a chapter there. So oh, okay. apologize if I misled you. <laughs> but yeah, so he's, he said, I'm interested in him um, writing a book on my personal mission statement, which was the Wife from crescendo, mm-hmm. the last 10 years of his life. And I think that he adopted that, that phrase because people were asking him, how long are you going to keep working? you're in your you're in your late 60s, 70s and you're going to just keep going and you know until you drop and in our family it was a bad word the R word was bad he didn't say retire oh yeah and so, and so you you know he decided I still have more to contribute and and he asked if I would help write the stories for this book he wanted it? a lot of inspiring and stories so the people when they read it and learned about the crescendo mentality could see themselves in it through the stories
0: and the title of his book was His Motto in Life. Tell us a little bit about more. Where How did he come across this? living Live Your Life in Crescendo. How did he come across this? What inspired it?
1: Well, Crescendo, and people think, oh, maybe you're a musical family. We're not at all. My dad couldn't carry a tune to save his life. But Crescendo, as you know, if you've been to a concert or you know about music, how it grows in power and energy and influence. It's, it's strong and it keeps going. It keeps expanding. And to hear a crescendo in a concert and in, in a symphony or something, is just outstanding. And so the, the idea is that throughout your whole life, you keep learning and stretching and growing. And the opposite of that is diminuendo. The sign of diminuendo, which which slows down in energy and strength and power, and it goes, it eventually comes to an end, stops completely. Mm-hmm. The whole idea of the crescendo mentality is that in any age or stage that that you're in, you have the the power and the ability to choose to live in crescendo or in diminuendo, and there's mm-hmm. consequences for each one. And this was just encouraging people that. You still keep in it no matter what happens to you, you still, like the subtitle of the book, have important things ahead of you and big contributions ahead of you, especially.
0: Definitely. I mean life is a is a great collection of stories and experiences and and hopefully you'll learn lessons from them. If you don't learn lessons from them then maybe Someone have mercy on your soul. I mean, it is so. But there's several great chapters in here. You talk about the midlife struggle and different, different axioms, like life is a mission, not a career. Talk to us about some of the stories and things that you told in the book that are inspiring.
1: Well, I could choose one about a man named Ray Hitton. it lived in Alabama in the late 60s, and he was accused of murdering two people. He was totally innocent. He actually was in a lockdown facility at work 15 miles away when these crimes occurred, but he, he was framed for it and was sent to death row in Alabama. Oh, wow. And he was, he was devastated. He walked into the cell. He knew he was innocent. He was so angry that this had happened to him and full of despair that he threw his Bible under his bed and determined that he was done. He was going to shut down. If they if they think that of me, then I'm not going to speak or communicate and and with anybody. So for three long miserable years, he didn't speak to the guards. He didn't speak to the cellmates next to him on death row. He didn't communicate at all, except for to family and friends once a week, when someone would come to visit him. And he was he was living in diminuendo. He was he he wasn't didn't have a circle of influence. He didn't try to. Get to know anyone. He didn't have any. He didn't have anything going for him, and and thought he was his life was over. So one night at two in the morning, he hears a fellow cellmate next to him just sobbing and crying, asking for someone to please help him with the pain he's going through. And something broke in Ray, and and he, his his compassion came out. He, he was a good person before, and this he was shocked to, to realize that that he didn't have the choice if he was on death roll, but he had other choices, even though there were few. He said hate and and despair were choices, but so were hope and love and compassion. Mm -hmm. And so he broke his silence of three years and began comforting this stranger that was next to him and finding out what had happened. And he found out that his mother had just passed away. And this inmate was just destroyed by this. It didn't know if he could go on, not have seen his mother and now she was gone. And so he spent the night just talking and comforting him and got him laughing and telling stories about his mom and things she used to do for him. And and it, it awoke in him the feeling that, you know, I can I can choose. I don't have a lot of choices, but I can't choose to become a, a a light and a beacon to people around me. I can't have my personality and my character come through. And so this is what he did for the next Fifteen or so years it, it became a light and a beacon to the guards to the people around him. He'd formed a book club and on death row got permission to meet with with some of the prisoners for that. His circle of influence expanded as he was learning and influencing other people, and he never gave up hope that he knew he was innocent and that it was going to be proven one day and so he was fortunate enough to get draw the attention of Brian Stevenson. If you know him, the Just Mercy. Lord, he wrote a book, and there's a movie about it. That so he got involved and pleaded his case before the Supreme Court of the United States, and wow. he was found completely innocent of all charges and released. He was released after 30 years, almost 30 years. And Ray walks out the door, and he says to his family and friends, "The sun does shine," and that became the the title of New York best-selling book that he wrote. Mm-hmm. Uh, four years later, about this journey that he went through from despair to hope, and his his life expanded. And living in crescendo, he now is a, a advocate for those who are p- falsely imprisoned, like he was. He speaks with Brian Stevenson. He's a great member of the community. His influence is re- reaching across the world, where before he had absolutely none. Mm-hmm. So, um, this is just an example of crescendo mentality, either choosing to live in a crescendo or dominiendo and the consequences that happen. And one of the most inspiring stories, I think, of the book.
0: Hi, folks. Here's Voss here with a little station break. Hope you're enjoying the show so far. We'll resume here in a second. Uh, I'd like to invite you to come to my coaching, speaking, and training courses website. You can also see our new podcast over there at chrisvossleadershipinstitute.com. Over there, you can find all the different stuff that we do for speaking engagements, if you'd like to hire me, uh, training courses that we offer, and coaching for leadership, management, entrepreneurism, uh, podcasting, corporate stuff. Uh, with over 35 years of experience in business and running companies as a CEO, uh, I think I can offer a wonderful breadth of information information and knowledge to you or anyone that you want to invite me to for your company. Thanks for tuning in. We certainly appreciate you listening to the show and be sure to check out Chris Voss, leadership Institute.com. Now back to the show. That That is inspiring. I, 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 I love the concept of the beacon. My book was named beacons of leadership that we put out last year. In fact, I think in a few more days it turns a one year old, but Beacons of leadership, the the idea of a beacon and being, being something that you know beams your influence to other people that shines a light sometimes the most darkest of corridors and inspires others and lifts others you know i mean each of us can do that in in dark spots of our life in fact sometimes when i'm in my darkest i try and go figure out how to help people and uh and serve someone other than myself and it gets me a little out of out of whatever i'm going through because i'm 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 doing something for someone else as opposed to just sitting in my own little pity party.
1: <laughs> that's, that's true. And Chris, that's one of the main messages of the book is that life is about contribution, not accumulation. Mm-hmm. And that to serving other people is where we've ultimately find our greatest joy and happiness and can help us through our problems as well. Mm-hmm. There's a great quote by Pablo Picasso that says, the, perp- the meaning of life is to find your gift. The purpose of life is to give it away. We talk about that in different stages that we've identified as, as times where you have an opportunity to identify what's going on and seeing if you're going to live in crescendo or dominiendo. I hope mm-hmm. people will adopt the crescendo mentality.
0: You know, I, I, learned, I, I learned my thoughts on retirement from Warren Buffett, and he said, I'll retire seven years after I die. <laughs> so that's just my plan i i seem to be getting smarter as i get older maybe because i'm learning so many good lessons <laughs> <laughs> as i get older yeah. but i'm i'm uh, i i hopefully will always keep learning i seem to be i seem to be someone who likes to learn i i love having people like yourself on the show i learn so much i get like a front row you know authors like yourself you you guys spend ten thousand hours thousands of hours hundreds of hours writing these books, building these experiences, collecting these stories. And I get to sit front row and ask great questions or what I hope are great questions or questions that I want to ask and uh, that I think the audience should listen for. And uh, I love it. And so it's a great learning experience and And I've learned so much by having great authors on like yourself.
1: They're in a crescendo, Chris.
0: I'm trying to, trying to peek out. I I mean, I, I would rather exp- I would rather live in crescendo and then explode at the end and hit the wall. <laughs> and they're going to go, he went out in glorious flame than to uh, fade away. I suppose. My, my,
1: my family tells a funny story of, of my dad because he built a, a, he built his dream home at 61. Hmm. And my, my younger brother, David, who's kind of the jokester of the family and, keeps us in line with he can say things that others can't say he, we were at he, we were at the construction site and he raises his arms up he just can't believe that my dad is incredulous that at this old age that he su- supposes the end of his life he's building this home and so he stands there and raises his arms and says at the sunset of his life and yet he builds
0: <laughs> yeah i mean <laughs>
1: And and my dad wasn't building, you know, to him, he got a good laugh. He wasn't building a home. He had a vision for that home, that it would be an intergenerational place where cousins could be best friends and gather and where we could support each other. But to, to David, it was like, you're at the end of your life. what You know, why are you doing something like this? When he had plans for making it a, a family place of enjoyment.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's no, there's no reason to start... Winding down your life. I mean, I'm smarter. I've I've probably know more about my life and and living life at fifty when I hit fifty, and about every year since fifty, I've learned just just it almost seems like I'm expanding my knowledge and experience and skill set more than ever before. And part of it is because I have that, you know, catastrophe behind me of 50 years of learning from that and going, well, I probably should stop doing that. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know,
1: experience and wisdom. Yeah. And And that's the advantage of being older, that as you get older, you, you have actually more to offer. So society's kind of like, oh, as you get older, well, you know, you put you out to pasture, you're not needed. But look around and see all the coaches and the and the leaders. We even have a president that's older. You know, look at look yeah. at people all across the nation that are are doing important things and contributing past the typical retirement age. Yeah. And I felt to believe the choices weren't just that retire or keep working. He saw the third alternative was make a contribution.
0: Yeah. I think Joe Biden can bicycle far than I can. He fell off the bicycle the <laughs> other day and where most people his age, if they fell off a bicycle, they break a hip. He's like, ah, it's just a, don't worry about <laughs> it. Me, 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 I'm just like, I get to the afternoon, I'm like, I need a nap, and I'm not even running this country. Like, you know, I don't have to deal with all that sort of pressure. But even then, I'm just like, ah, I'm kind of tired. Of so it's great. What what was something that you know your father had a lot of fans out there? And when I posted this on our social media and shared it that you were going to be on, people just just went crazy. What what was something that maybe people didn't know about your father? Was there a tidbit or anything that people didn't know about your father, or maybe something that they should know about him?
1: Well, I'm the oldest of nine. I'm mm-hmm. known as the mother hen because both my parents have passed now, so I look after the brood. Mm-hmm. But he, my, both my mom and dad worked hard to establish a good relationship with all of us. And some people say, how could you do it with nine kids? And I, I have six kids of my own and it, it's, it is hard. It takes prioritizing and planning. But what looking back, one of my favorite childhood memories is actually him making an effort to connect with, with me in this case and, and others could tell similar stories. When I was 12 years old, I was invited to go on a trip with him to San Francisco Mm -hmm. where he was speaking at a a big conference. And part of the fun was to just anticipate everything planned out. We had, I was just enamored with the trolley cars in San Francisco. I'd never seen them or been on them. And he really talked them up, how magical they were and going up and down those hills and in San Francisco. We decided to, to go to Chinatown and have Chinese food. That was our favorite. And he said, there's nothing like authentic Chinese food. Well, I'll take you right to the heart of it. And uh, then we were going to shop in some of the fancy stores for a few school clothes, take a taxi back and swim in the pool before it closed. He was actually famous for swimming in the pool when it was closed too. He would uh, just go under the rope there (laughs) and pretend he didn't hear the, the guard running back and forth trying to say, sir, the pool is closed now. And he'd do an underwater flip at the other end and pretend he didn't hear him until he was done working out <laughs> and then we would order a hot fudge Sunday and watch the late show together so we had it all planned out and um it was working according to plan i was in the back of the room waiting for him as he was making his way to me he ran into one of his good friends from college that he hadn't seen for years oh wow i watched him embrace and he seemed so excited to see him and the other guy said, Oh, I knew you were speaking today, Stephen. I've come down to, to take you you to dinner I doubt the wharfs. We can have some seafood and talk and catch up with, with my wife and it'll be wonderful. And he kind of indicated that I that I was came along as well and he glanced back at me and said, Oh, your daughter's welcome to come too <laughs> And I, I thought, Oh great, I'm gonna spend the night with old people I don't know. <laughs> we have seafood, which I hated. We wanted Chinese food. This is a disaster. And I expected the worst. My trolley car was nowhere in sight. And then I heard my dad say, you know, that sounds so great. I would love to do that with you, but not tonight. Cynthia and I have a special date planned. Don't we, honey? And he winked at me and the trolley car, I could see it again. (laughs) And he grabbed my hand. We went out the door and... It really meant a lot to me. I said, but dad, this is your good friend. You haven't seen forever. Don't you want to hang out with him tonight and, and be with him? And He said, are you kidding? I wouldn't miss this for anything. You'd much rather have Chinese food anyway, wouldn't you? That's <laughs> that trolley car. Uh, so that story just showed so much to me about his level of commitment to being a father. His his important role to, to him, to me, and, and also about trust and keeping your word and priorities. It was a, it was a, it's a great thing to look back on. And remember that was kind of the foundation of our relationship.
0: That's awesome. You know, some people have better, have better relationship with their friends than they do with their kids. So it's good to build that relationship for. That gives me an idea. I sent my kids off to military school when they were two years old and they're supposed to return when they're 18. I let them write (laughs) me once a year. Maybe I'll let them write me twice a year. I'll let them write me and maybe I should send them gifts at Christmas.
1: Uh, Maybe you could visit. (laughs) <laughs> I'll think about it.
0: I, I, I didn't have any kids because I had dogs. So I went with that pet program. <laughs> but that's so that's awesome. How, how were you guys working on this book when, when he passed?
1: Yeah. We, we, after I insulted him by asking if he was going to do anything, write anything else that was of value, he said, Why don't you help me on this last, on this book? We didn't know this was going to be his last, Mm
0: -hmm. but
1: he, he assigned me to, to write the story that would make it come alive so people could see themselves in this and make it kind of interesting. And so I interviewed him for the first couple of years. That's what he said. He basically wanted me to write it, but he said, Get my ideas on it and then we'll, We'll figure it out together. And then he passed away before we were done. And I regretted that I didn't have my part done. He kept calling me and I have six kids and, and? I'm involved in a lot of community things. And I, I, you know, I was working on it, but it wasn't finished when he passed away. And so I just hope to be a faithful translator of his vision for Live Life in Crescendo. It was kind of a neat experience to write it after his passing. It drew me really close to him while I was, thinking and writing about it. And I wanted to get it out there because I knew that people that have been inspired by his books before, like Seven Habits and others, would, would see this as, you know, one last one, kind of his last lecture or last message that that he wanted to share that he felt like was very important to him.
0: And it's it's kind of, you know, about him, his, what his thinking was, what his yeah. mantras were, and everything else. I love some of the titles from the chapters because they're just so inspiring. And you can tell what you're getting into and the stories that you're telling. Life is a mission, not a career. I love that. People are more important than things. That's something we all need to be reminded of, especially, I think, in today's world. Leadership is communicating worth and potential. Tell me a little bit about that because I'm really into leadership. What, is, what does that mean? Leadership is communicating worth and potential.
1: That is is is. His best definition of leadership was that, that leadership is communicating worth and potential so clearly that they are inspired to see it in themselves. Mm. So you think of somebody, if I were to ask you, Chris, who who influenced you? Can you think of one person who believed in you when you didn't believe in yourself? Mm, My mom. Your mom. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's great. I think everybody, you could ask almost anybody and they would point to an individual that saw something in them and believed in them when they you know had every all of us have doubts about Mm
0: ourselves,
1: and so this is talking about being a mentor as a in every age and stage of life that we're in looking around and seeing it could be our own kids it could be our family or grandkids it could be somebody in the neighborhood that you can see is struggling a young boy that needs a role model, or maybe an athlete, maybe you were, maybe you excelled at something. Maybe you're an athlete or you're a, an author or you're a doctor or something. And you could identify someone that you think could use your wisdom and experience. Like you were saying, Chris, how much you've learned by, but you know, in these 50 years, wouldn't that be wonderful if you could help use that to build a bridge for someone else to follow by believing in someone who maybe doesn't believe in themselves.
0: Most definitely. I mean, that's, that's the great thing about leadership is inspiring others and getting the, like you, like you mentioned, to get them to see that vision of themselves and where you want them to go. Most good coaches are most good leaders. They see the potential that's in people and they know it maybe from their own experience or whatever. You know, I, I grew up a very introverted kid. I was a, the extroverted big mouth that I am now. I was pretty, you know, unsocial, isolated. I wasn't a social, I just didn't, you know, I was really inverted. And, and, uh, you know, owning companies and things changed that in my life journey. But, but, you know, it, people, I, I grew up poor and, uh, you know, I know what that's like. So when I meet people that, you know, they'll say to me, well, I could never, you know, do what you do with the, all the talking thing and all that. I'm very introverted and stuff. And I'm like, you don't understand how I grew up. I grew up poor and I grew up introverted and I was a fly in the wall. I watched everybody do things and I didn't do anything myself when I was, uh, you know, my teens and my, as a child. And so I'm like, you know, you can become like me. And they're like, well, that doesn't sound good at all. Uh, (laughs) But no, it's, it's great that you can inspire people, lift them. You talk in the book too, about your, the, the Rachel Covey foundation. Tell us a little bit about that and and what your family's doing with that.
1: Yeah, that's one of the greatest things that our family's involved in. We talk, we, there's a lot of different stages we identify of life and, One's a midlife stage, stagnant stage. One's a pinnacle of success stage. What do you do if you have been successful? What do you do next? Do you, you know sit on your laurels and, and just enjoy your success? Or what what comes next? How can you contribute? Another one is life, life-changing experience. And this is where that would fit. At the end of the book, I talk about three experiences our family had. Well, we had the journey of trying to live in crescendo as well. Sometimes you look at other families and you think, oh, everything's, they're, they're perfect, everything's great for them, or they don't have any trials or struggles. And actually, every family has problems and has things they need to work through and, and things to overcome. And our family, we, this one with my, with my brother that I wanted to share, his daughter was 21, Rachel, their oldest daughter, oldest of, of eight children. And she passed away from effects of depression when she was 21 years old. Wow. This was, this was devastating to our whole family and especially to her parents, Sean and Rebecca. My brother Sean was told by somebody that I'm so sorry this happened. You're always going to have a hole in your heart from that, from what happened from her loss. And he really thought about that and thought, you know, instead of a hole, I'm going to build a muscle there. I'm going to strengthen it. He realized that, that this something this devastating of losing a young, Young daughter, at twenty-one, from from anxiety and depression, that he could either have it define him or destroy him, or the third third alternative was to let help it strengthen him, and they chose to do that. They found out after Rachel's funeral that some friends came up and said, "You know, Rachel really helped me when I was struggling through riding horses. Rachel had a passion for horses." And was a was a distance runner with horses. And it gave her a lot of joy to ride. She felt like she found her voice when she was riding. And she apparently shared this with other girls that, that it helped. And so they decided to set up a foundation called Bridle Up Hope. And with the idea that girls between the ages of 12 and 18. Who are struggling with a depression, anxiety, suicide, you know, abuse, trauma. That they could come to this barn. And learn a couple of different things to deal with it. One of one learning to ride horses. There's a great, there's a great healing therapy with horses Mm. and and girls with horses. And so they'd learn about equestrian training, be able to take responsibility for their lives with a, with a horse. The second thing was uh, Sean wrote the seven habits of highly effective teens. Mm -hmm. My brother's, I mean, my dad's material, but. It's made for teens, more, more interesting, more stories and, and geared to, to teens. And so we, they study that they, that this is kind of the life skills that they teach them along with the equestrian training is how to, how to take responsibility for your life during hard times and, and learning these seven habits for teens. And then the third component is service. They found, like we were talking about earlier, that as you serve, as you look outward, that you can heal inwardly. And so they, they require them to do 10 hours of service, maybe mucking out stalls, taking out art class, developing talents, doing different things. And so this is an incredible program that's been going on for 10 years. It's a nonprofit. They just run by donations and over a thousand girls have gone through this program and it has definitely saved lives. They've done surveys after parents and they said 93% of parents say it was life-changing for their daughter. gives them hope that okay i can i can overcome this abuse that i experienced i i'm i had great trauma a few years ago but like the subtitle of the book i have important things ahead of me my life's not ruined i'm not a victim i can choose otherwise and it's been amazing all of the family is supportive of bridle up hope and it has changed lives and is still doing it today
0: that's extraordinary. You know, getting outside sometimes too of your environment and getting into a new environment and going to a place where you can learn, get be challenged and grow can can really be helpful. And you know, I love the concept of living a life in crescendo because because you, you 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 know, some people look at the end of their life like, oh, it's the winding down and, you know, I retire and, you know, no one cares about me anymore. But it's the greatest time in your life to you know, spend time learning more, developing new skills. You know, I'm always trying new habits or little adventures that I try and do. You know, it's I'm always trying to improve myself, and I'll, hopefully, I'll be doing that till I die. As long as, as long as the old noggin stays working <laughs> up here. <As laughs> That's a
1: idea, Chris. We call it the second half of half of life. It yeah. brings people to have the crescendo mentality to not say what you can't do during that second half. I mean, you look at someone like a Jimmy Carter. Mm-hmm. So he didn't. He didn't get reelected the second term, which must have been devastating to him. He mm-hmm. goes back to Georgia, and instead of just building a library and charging hundreds of thousands of dollars for speeches, he's that he went into humanitarian work. He's mm-hmm. known for Habitat for Humanity, and for the Carter Peace Center, and for contributing so much more after he was at maybe the pinnacle of success, and mm-hmm. yet his most important work was ahead of him. He's our he's our most he's our best post president we've ever had. And as a president, he wasn't rated as high as some of the others. So it was true that his important work was still ahead. And so in this time of life, you're right. You've got the most resources you've ever had, the most time, the most money probably, the most wisdom and experience. And so how are you going to use that to better, you know, people around you? Starting with your family, your neighborhood. Seeing a need and responding, and that's that's li- that's the example of living in crescendo. If mm-hmm. so I can give one example of a lady that named H- Hester Rippy, who was seventy-seven, that moved, you know, about about an hour away from where I live, and she came to her goal when she moved from Texas was to spoil her grandkids. Well, she looked around her small hometown and found that there there was a lot of illiteracy there, a lot. And she decided to do something about it. So at 77, you think, well, oh, what could she do? Well, she, she went and bugged the mayor to give her a little bit of room in the city library and, and began tutoring kids and, and then even adults. She found that a lot of adults in that area couldn't read well. Oh, wow. And then she expanded it. I should go to the board, the board meetings and everybody would hide from her because she wouldn't take no for an answer. And she's like, I need more room. I need buses to take these kids after school to be able to read and and anyway she established the Hester Rippy Literary Center which has had over 300,000 people have learned to read through her program and she has over 100 volunteers that run it. Just, wow. She's in her late 70s and and just saw a need and responded.
0: That is awesome, and you have more time when you get older too. And like you said, you're usually more successful. You're making more money. You know, I have more freedoms now than I ever had. Plus, I think the other important thing is I got all the stupid things that I could do out of the way when I was young.
1: <laughs> you're, right. you're right. You have more experience and wisdom, and you can you can put that to good use yeah. if you'll if you'll do it. Besides just right. laying on a beach in Florida and soaking up the sun. Yeah. Kind of think, what should I be about? What, how can I contribute?
0: Yeah. I got all that hard drinking, doing stupid things out of the way when I was young. So now, <laughs> now, now <laughs> I'm all like, oh, we're not doing that anymore. So there you go. Well, this is definitely inspiring and it's a wonderful legacy built on your father's. It's been wonderful. Anything more you want to tease out in the book before we go?
1: Uh, well, I think I would just challenge people. You mentioned life is a mission. Not, uh, my father taught life is a mission, not a career. It was something his grandfather taught him. I mean, you can get released from, you know, you can end a job, can end a career, can end. But one thing that that we, that he taught me is that each of us have a unique mission to fulfill. It sounds like you've got something in mind about a mission, Chris, with this show, trying to inspire people, having guests teach others something, maybe a skill or a new a new paradigm or a new way of thinking. Or and if you, my father would always challenge people. To detect, Victor Frankl said, "You don't invent your missions; you detect them oh. within yourself." And so maybe you're introspective, and you think, "Okay, what what means a lot to me? What can I offer those around me that I can just do? You know, from from where I'm at, what what can I give that will make a difference? What is my mission? What am I about? And that that mission will become a legacy for your children to mm. to look up to and admire." And each of us have something special that we can contribute to someone else that no one else can. And we just have to, we can't be overwhelmed by it and think, oh, I don't have a lot of money or a lot of influence. You just have to start where you are and help the person across the street that can't mow their laws and that, you know, is too old to do yard work or, or someone who's friendless. And you just start and begin and your circle of influence will increase and expand.
0: Yeah. It's amazing to me, the influence and inspiration that we can have on other people. And a lot of times we don't even re- realize it on my Twitter feed over 12 years on my Twitter feed, we used to feed lots of inspiring quotes, probably some from your father. We had all the top motivational speakers, the quotes that they were in there. And two times during those 12 years, I had someone write me privately and say, I was going to end everything today. And I'd planned it out and it was, I was done. And well, I came across this random quote that you put out, and inspired me, and motivated me to stick around. And
1: you don't know the influence you have on other people.
0: Yeah, they didn't plan it. I was like, hey, yeah. we should put these out in case people want to commit suicide today. And it was, it was inspiring. And and people have told me that in life, you know. And sometimes I don't find out till years later that I influenced them. You know, they'll yeah. they'll come out and tell me that, you know, hey, this this touched me and moved me uh, years ago. You, you know, how you talked about death about one of your dogs or something, you know, and inspire people. And you're just like, wow, I, I had no idea that had the effect on people. So it's wonderful and beautiful. Thank you very much for coming on the show with us, Cynthia. We really appreciate it.
1: Oh, you're so nice to invite me. And I really appreciate having the opportunity to share this message and, and hope that it will give some inspiration to others.
0: There you go. There you go. And give us your .com so people can find you on the interwebs.
1: No, I'm just on LinkedIn and I'm a Cynthia Covey Haller on Instagram. And I'm not, I, you know, I just connected in the normal places. So I'm happy to, to respond to anybody. And I'm just, just hoping to be a good influence. This is something I've worked on for the last 10 years. And it's been my mission that lately to bring this about. So. I'm grateful for any promotion of this idea of the crescendo mentality because I, I do – I have I feel passionate about like my dad did.
0: There you go. There you go. Order up the book, guys, wherever fine books are sold. Live Life in Crescendo. Your most important work is always ahead of you part of the covey habits series check it out just came out yesterday September 27th 2022 I really encourage you to pick up the book thanks to everyone for tuning in go to youtube.com for just Chris Fosco to LinkedIn and all of our different accounts across social media thanks for being here stay safe we'll see you guys next time
1: and Pinterest. that should have
0: us